All right. Well, thank you again for being here. Welcome. My name is Jeff Wright. I'm one of the location leaders in the West Island at our location out there. But I'm just really excited to be able to be here downtown and get to just preach from the scripture Shayla read for us in uh, Mark 11. We finally get to get back to our series in Mark. We've been in this book of Mark for so long, and uh, we're, we're bringing it to a conclusion this Easter as we approach. And so there's only a few chapters left in this book. But right now in chapter 11, finishing off um, with verses 12 to 33. Let me just pray once more for myself as well as us uh, before I get into preaching this text. Father God, I pray that you would um, open our hearts. Um, I continue to pray this. I join my prayer, Lord, uh, that you would open our hearts and open my mouth to proclaim your praise. Um, that the thoughts of my heart, um, the words of my mouth would be honoring to you, God. We pray in your name, Jesus, for your glory. Amen. So let me start with a question. Um, when's the last time you've ever been disappointed by something you've had great expectations for? When's the last time you had high expectations for something and you were let down? I think this happens pretty regularly in our day-to-day -day lives. Think of it if, if you've like always wanted to go and see this amazing place and you got there and it wasn't as great as you hoped it would be. Or maybe uh, you went to a restaurant, it wasn't as great as everyone hyped it up to be, and you left one of those one-star reviews on Google. Who here likes reading one-star reviews on Google? I think they're hilarious because that's where you really see people get creative with why they're so disappointed by whatever service or product there is. Um, for example, I was disappointed recently when I was working upstairs at the office here on a Monday, came to lunchtime, I was hungry, and I went on Uber Eats to see what's available nearby. And of course, Uber Eats, they always put up the best pictures. There's no way that these are the burgers from this place. These are just stock images of burgers, right? And I thought, oh, there's these Korean corn dogs just uh, half a mile away. Let me try and see what that's all about. So I went and tried this uh, Korean corn dog, and uh, it was pretty cool. Took an Instagram picture and all this stuff. But then I took it back to the office and ate it and realized, well, I just spent $7 on a corn dog that was rolled in tater tots and fried in oil, and I'm still hungry five minutes later. So you, you have these high expectations for things, but then you get disappointed. Um, but it's even more disappointing when it's something that you're really invested in, when it's something that's, that you've poured your heart into, perhaps, or that's meant to really satisfy you more than a $7 corn dog. Uh, so it's interesting, I bring this up, because we see Jesus hungry on his way to Jerusalem, and he sees this enticing fig tree off in the distance, full of green leaves. But it ultimately disappoints him. He goes to the fig tree and he doesn't find any fruit on the tree. And he curses that fig tree. May nobody ever eat from you again. He's disappointed by that fig tree. It's like Jesus goes and leaves a one-star review on Google about that fig tree. Like nobody should ever eat from this again. Right? He doesn't like that fig tree. Even worse, it could be like, you know, uh, the public health inspector shows up and it's this really bad restaurant. You ever read that annual review of all the health violations at the restaurants we eat at and the, the fines and, and all these things? It's like Jesus shows up at this fig tree and condemns this fig tree. 
Nobody should eat from this fig tree again. So what's all this about? Well, Jesus had the proper expectation by looking at that tree that he should go to that tree and expect to find fruit on the branches behind those leaves. We know this because what are trees for? You look at Genesis at the beginning of the Bible when it describes how God created the earth, that trees have a purpose for fruitfulness, that trees were made for fruit, and that fruit was meant for people, for us to eat and enjoy. C.S. Lewis, a great author, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia as well as many other great things like uh, mere Christianity. He says this, that, well, basically that every hunger has a corresponding element of satisfaction. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So here's a creative way of saying um, that the things that we hunger for in life are meant to correspond with an element of satisfaction. Um, So Jesus had this expectation of the fig tree. He was hungry, but it it was barren. It didn't have any fruit. Um, We experience hunger in many ways in our life. And we experience dissatisfaction in many ways in our lives. So then Jesus goes on to the temple. And this time it's not like uh, leaving a bad review on Google. It's not like the health inspector showing up. This is really like an episode of Restaurant Takeover. I don't know if you've seen that where it's so dysfunctional. It's like, okay, on this episode of Temple Takeover, Caiaphas the high priest has monopolized the market and is profiting from the, the revenues. And Jesus goes in and he flips tables and stops people from walking through with the, the goods. And, you know, he goes in here, and this place should look like uh, the Casa Madrigal with all kinds of amazing, miraculous works going on. But instead, it's completely dysfunctional. Nothing good is happening in this place. He says, this should be a house of prayer, but it's a den of robbers. This should be a place for the nations. But instead, the Gentiles can't even get in. You should be serving the community. Instead, you're consuming the community and profiting off of them. So Jesus goes into this temple, and it's like, here comes Bruno, and the Pharisees are like, we don't talk about Bruno. Um, Is it just that Jesus is hangry because he didn't get the fig that morning? Is it like you go to work that morning in the vending machine, you're like, okay, uh, I'm in a hurry, I didn't get any breakfast this morning, let me at least get a fig bar out of this vending machine, and, uh, you know, the machine eats your dollar, and there's no fig bars left. And then he goes into work and you should expect to see people actually being fruitful in their work. Instead of working, they're stealing from the company and they're stealing from the customers. So he starts flipping tables and desks. But really, it's something more than this. It wasn't just Jesus being hangry. Just like that tree was made for fruit and fruit was meant for people, people were made for faith. And that faith is meant for God. And when Jesus went to that temple, he found that the people were not being faithful. We know this, again, by going back in Scripture to look at God's design, just like God designed that tree to be fruitful. God designed you and I to be faithful. When God created Adam and Eve in the beginning, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Further on in Deuteronomy, through Moses, he said, 
that, that we ought to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He gave the temple, which is God's presence among the people, where they could come to him. And he said that this will be a house of prayer for all nations. But throughout history, Israel had kept falling short of the fruitful lives they were always created to experience and of producing the life-giving fruit that they were designed to bear. They kept falling short. And throughout this history, God teaches them and draws them back to him through different parables like um, and through different situations when they fall short. Um, for example, when the world was saturated with sin back in Genesis and the story of Noah and the flood, well, God saturated the world with water. Um, further on through the prophets, Jerusalem and, and the people of Israel had turned away from God from living that fruitful experience and that fruitful life of worship before him. And so he, he gives these illustrations to the prophets. He told Jeremiah one day, he said, go to the potter's house. You'll see the potter working at his pottery wheel. And then he says this, the vessel, he says, when I showed up, the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, like it fell apart. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Well, then the word of the Lord came to me and said, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Right? If something is collapsing, reworking it. He told Ezekiel, he said, go and make a brick and inscribe on it Jerusalem and make this little toy village of Jerusalem and build siege works around it and then turn your back on it. And I'm illustrating to you what's going to happen to Jerusalem because of its unfaithfulness. So when Jesus goes to this fig tree, it's like this living parable of, here's what I'm about to do in this temple by cleansing the temple and cursing the fig tree. It's a symbol of your fruitlessness, your faithlessness, and what I'm going to do by cursing that fig tree, withering it to its root. We all fall short, um, but we're still meant to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So, God gave these commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This amazing design. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I will be your God. You will be my people. Um, but we keep falling short. And God keeps illustrating how we keep falling short. But then what's amazing about the gospel, or even when we started back in the book of Mark, is the first picture on the scene was this man called John, John the Baptist. And he was saying to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And Jesus was going around saying um, to repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. So even when you fall short of keeping the law of God, well, we still get to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So even when we're fruitless, uh, God says you, you can still bear fruit through repentance. A fruitful life is found in worshiping God. That's what this shows us, is that a fruitful life is found in worshiping God. Um, the first question in the Westminster Catechism, which is this kind of a, a concise theology um, in, in question and answer form, the first question asks this, what is the chief end of man? What is our purpose? What are we made for? And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's amazing. Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, um, that just he's illustrating what happened when Jesus came and he said uh, to repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
he says to his Jewish brothers, Paul writes this saying, you've died to that law that you could never keep so that you may belong to another. You may belong to him who has been raised from the dead. He says, you've also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So the purpose of the gospel is our fruitfulness to Christ and to God. Just like trees were made for fruit, that fruit was meant for people. People were made for faith and that faith was meant for God. That is our fruitfulness to him. So now you might be thinking, you're saying my intended purpose for life is to serve and worship God? And that doesn't sound right or appealing to me. You might be saying that sounds miserable or boring or discongruous with what I feel. Like, I don't feel like I thrive in worshiping God. I don't feel like that's what I'm created to do. It sounds like servitude. But a fruitful life is not meant to detract from our human experience, but in fact to enhance our pleasures and joys designed outstandingly by God. This is the most fruitful experience for you and I is to find our place in worshiping the one who created us and loves us and knows us so much. Our commission to produce life-giving fruit is not bleak servitude. It's not mind control. It's not colorless or flavorless. It's not a commission to serve God at the expense of our, our joys and our freedoms, even though we do, as we sang, lay down our life and surrender to him. But it's to fulfill, to plug into, to thrive in all our God-given faculties. Think about uh, how our smartphones and smart devices are all connected to the internet. And uh, a few weeks ago, I went to the States and we don't have a cell phone plan in the States. And so our smartphones are useless. We have to download all the songs we want to listen to. We have to download the maps we want to be able to use. And, and we can't text or call anybody, and it's miserable until you get connected to Wi-Fi. It's just this crazy experience. And um, it's, it's like we are unplugged when we don't find that place of rightful belonging with God. Um, the things, in fact, that disappoint us in life point us to that very fact that there's something better out there just like that quote from C.S. Lewis was saying, I was made for another world. The things that disappoint us all around show us that there's got to be more than this. We have a good hunger for something more. But it can't be found or invented in culture. It's beyond culture. It's beyond what we can muster up from within ourselves. And the church, this whole people that God says I've called you to myself and I will bless you. That's what the church is. The church isn't behind culture. It's transcendent to culture. Worship isn't an outdated construct of this institutional church. It's an eternal reality that we are made to plug into. Our worship to God is what we're made for. We should bear the fruit of worship and repentance in our lives. It's what we were made for from the beginning. And we won't be fulfilled until we are filled with this. And you will be fulfilled in 
our worship of God. Instead, we don't. Instead, we run from this intended design all too often. We keep going to the corn dogs when we could, you know, go to a filet mignon. Um, Instead, we run away from this intended design with our self-oriented and self-consuming lives at the expense of anything and anyone that we can control or hoard or use for our attempts at fulfillment. We grasp at control by filling our endless cravings from social media and pornography to drugs and alcohol and sexual relations that all fall short. We're never satisfied because only God can fill that void, that hunger that we do feel in our lives. In the end, we don't even make a good God. We're trying to be God, but we, we're not even a good God. You try to reward yourself, and even that is just vanity. Um, the best we can do is treat yourself. We love self-care, and we love treat yourself. And yet, you can't even treat yourself. That's how bad of a God we are, and that's the best we've got. But we also attempt at control, and we grasp at control through religion. Instead of committing to a relationship with God, we try to capitalize on a relationship with God. We sew these fig leaves together, just like Adam and Eve did in the beginning, to hide our shame and to at least boast a facade of uh, everything's good here, everything's going okay, or even like this fig tree in the beginning, uh, that we boast this facade of lifefulness on the surface. We always put our best self forward, just like those pictures on Uber Eats that you know are not the real picture, Um, these edited pictures. Uh, We do the same on social media, in job interviews, and even in church, we put our best self forward all the time, even in prayer before God, and he knows our very hearts, and yet we put on a polished front. But the Pharisees, they became experts at this. They had a solid system of securing their authority that nobody could infiltrate, that they kind of monopolized the religion of the day in Judaism. Um, They had secured their authority, their influence, and their control by who becomes a rabbi and who becomes a Pharisee. You have to be um, kind of ordained by two or three others who are above you. So they were threatened by Jesus's actions and his teachings. And so they questioned Jesus's authority and they kept planning how to destroy him. They questioned his authority because they want to know, well, who ordained this guy? Um, who's, who's kind of behind you? Because we need to go talk to that guy too. That's where Jesus comes to them with, like, well, tell me about John. Was his authority from heaven or from man? And uh, he held that, that tension out to them, which they couldn't answer. They had two options when Jesus when they questioned Jesus' authority and he turned the question back on them, they could either turn to the true God, the true God of Judaism and uh, the true God of Christianity through the ministry of Christ, or they could continue being their own gods. That's the, 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 the decision that we have as well. Just like the Pharisees chose and went on guarding their own facade of religion without Jesus, they did not accept Jesus. We too could never truly bear the fruit of worship and repentance in our lives without an abiding relationship with Jesus. We could never do it. The Pharisees couldn't do it. 
with all their religion, and neither could we. We will be like a barren fig tree masquerading in beautiful, deceitful foliage without Jesus. We will continue playing God either in our own sins until eventually we wither away because that fruit was all an illusion. Or we will continue playing God in a relationship until he comes and cleanses house. And he says no more. This is completely dysfunctional. It's not what I asked for. And starts flipping the tables. But Jesus's words and works were never a facade. It was never this leafy tree that was shallow on the, on the inside. It was hollow on the inside. Jesus was not like this. His deeds were never just a relationship with God. They were a true relationship with God. Jesus lived the completely fruitful life that you and I could never live. So, um, and he, and so lived the fully human life we'd always hoped to experience. He lived the most human life we could ever hope for through a life of worship. He never lacked anything. He's the actual vine that produces fruit, not Israel. Israel was always portrayed as this vine in God's vineyard or this fig tree in God's orchard. Um, but Jesus is the true vine. He's the true life-giving one. So he invites us to abide in him and that he will produce fruit through us, in and through us. He's the actual eternal temple, not this uh, physical temporal one. So then we can all come to him. Instead of this temple where the Gentiles couldn't even come in, Jesus is the true temple of the Spirit where all can come to him and none are cast out or rejected. And in fact, he turns and makes us the temple of the Holy Spirit. He comes to dwell in us. As we abide in him, he abides in us. Because when he cleansed the temple that day and, and said, no, this is completely dysfunctional, um, you shouldn't be monopolizing the market and profiting off the people, that was just a temporary measure. That was not meant to keep the temple going forever. Previously, speaking of his own body, he said this, that if you destroy this temple, I will raise it up in three days. Because that temple was never meant to last, but his temple would last forever. So, to finish things off here, through an abiding relationship with Jesus, we get to finally experience the fruitful life we've always hungered for. That's an amazing good news. And we get to bear the life-giving fruit of worship and repentance that we were always created for. That is such good news that through Jesus, we finally get to be fulfilled how we've been designed for. We experience this by looking to Jesus, to Jesus' perfect life, his death, and resurrection. He invites the thirsty to come to him. He invites the hungry to come to him, and I will give you the bread of life. Come to me, those who are thirsty, and I will give you living water. Speaking about the Holy Spirit who would quench every thirst that we've got. And it's through Christ living in us and the power of the Spirit transforming us that we do get to live that fruitful life of worship we've always hoped for. So we look to Christ, but we also look to the future 
at this hope that we have beyond this world. Like C.S. Lewis mentioned, we were made for another world. Here's a glimpse of that future for us in the book of Revelation. John, who's writing this book, looks at the city, the new city of heaven, and he sees in the middle of the street this tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You will come to the tree and not be disappointed because it bears fruit each month like it was designed and intended. It meets all of our hunger. Another author wrote this. His name is Paul Tripp. He says, If you don't keep the eyes of your heart focused on the paradise that is to come, you will try to turn this poor fallen world into the paradise it will never be. Stop trying to turn this poor fallen world into the paradise it will never be. Valerie Plant can create the, the biggest urban green space that she can imagine, but it will never be the paradise that this world can't produce. We look forward to heaven to find that, where we too will be healed as all the nations are healed that day, where we find our fullness in the presence of Christ. And just like one friend of mine wrote, Recently, I look forward to being complete. And that's something we can all say. I look forward to being complete. So what does a fruitful relationship with Jesus look like for us? I'd say here's a couple, couple of ways we can look at this. There's a, a personal implication for our fruitfulness with Christ. And then there's this corporate or togetherness aspect of our fruitfulness with him. The writer of Hebrews says we should do this. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So our worship is proclaiming his praise. Just like Psalm 63, David wrote that my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. See, our hunger is a natural clue at uh, the satisfaction we find in God. And in Psalm 141, he says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Paul writes to the Philippians, saying that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory of and praise of God. He writes to the Galatians that here's what that fruit looks like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In Colossians, he says that we are bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. But he also writes that this isn't just an individual relationship with God, but it's a relationship with God that we were meant to do together. That's what the church is. That's why we're here. This is a church family. This is a, the body of Christ that is built up on one another. You can't separate. And so here's how Paul describes the fruitfulness of the gospel church-wide. Is he says that there's a hope laid up for you in heaven, just like I mentioned. 
Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does among you. The gospel is bearing fruit and increasing through the church around the world, as it does among you. You, Church 21, is the gospel bearing fruit and increasing in Church 21 downtown? Is the gospel bearing fruit and increasing through Church 21 downtown, through this church family, through these people gathered together as an expression of God's global church? How is the church bearing fruit? And how can the gospel continue bearing fruit in and through Church 21? Three, uh, three last sentences for us as we think about our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with the world. One, we give our praise to God through a life that's filled with the Spirit, modeled after Christ, um, as we abide in His grace, through the Word, through prayer, through fellowship. In our relationship with each other, we belong. We belong here by attending, serving, and giving. This is the fruitfulness of the church, the gospel bearing fruit and producing fruit. We build each other up in love with the fruit of encouragement. So edify and encourage each other this week, today as well as Monday through Friday. Even though the store shelves may be bare, even if the gas prices and grocery prices are skyrocketing, the fruit of love that we have here is free and abundant. So let's Practice that love together without cost or price. And then in our relationship with our neighbor, whether that's your personal neighbor where you live or the neighbors around us figuratively here downtown, in your work, in your school, or your neighborhood this week, listen for those who hunger for more. Listen for the people who long to be complete and can't find where uh, to be satisfied. Point them to the fruit that never fails. All of our hungers for more are met in Christ. Every pleasure that we enjoy points to the greater source of all. So is Church 21 a downtown a fruitful neighbor? Are we a foretaste of heaven as we gather together? Are we a cornucopia of fruit um, available to our neighbors? Or are we going to be an empty tree behind a facade of leaves? I don't believe so. I know that God is working in and through us by his spirit. So let me pray as we apply and practice this this week. Father God, I thank you for the hope that we have in you to be able to, to find our hope in you, to look forward and see a day where we will be uh, complete and satisfied, but that also today we can look at your work, Jesus, poured out um, in your perfect life and on the cross, demonstrated in power by your resurrection, and know that we are completely known and completely loved. That we don't have to hide behind a facade, but we can come to you today. Pray that you lead us in our hearts, speaking to us by your Holy Spirit right now. That we can come to you and give the fruit of worship we were made for and experience the fruitful life that we hunger for so much. We're so glad that you care for us. Um, you've you've uh, met all of our hunger 
by this gospel. So, uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd work in and through us today, in this church in particular. We pray in your name. Amen.